Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Whoa! Yes, welcome everyone to Freedom of Species, following on from Sally's great live broadcast from mm. the Carnival Stage at the Chillat Festival in Dalesford. That was fantastic. And uh, Sally finished up with Leslie April, A Trashy Woman. Great song. And my awesome. name's Trevor, with uh, Carolyn today in the studio. Hello. How are you going? Yeah, it's going well. So uh, today for Freedom of Species, well, first I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the Wurundjeri people's land of the Kulin Nation and that sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, mm. This is stolen land. We really need to think about what that means at all times in all parts yeah. of our life living here. And today, I guess being the first show for us back from International Women's Day on yeah. Wednesday and the week of International Women's Day, Yeah. Uh, what have we got in store today, Carolyn? Yeah, so... It was International Women's Day this week and at 3CR there was an incredible 24 hours of women and non-binary broadcasting. Mm. The theme being solidarity is our strength. So there are a lot of really, really great shows that were um, broadcast during the week and I'd really encourage people to go back and and have a listen because there's some really fantastic things. But in terms of International Women's Day... um, It's a global day that's celebrated annually on March the 8th as a focal point in the women's rights movement, particularly bringing attention to issues around gender equality, reproductive rights and violence and abuse against women. So its origins go way back to 1908 when women workers in the garment trade marched through New York City's Lower East Side to protest child labour, sweatshop working conditions, and to demand women's suffrage. So it's been annually observed since 1910. And, um, yeah, I thought we could talk about some of the amazing women um, that inspire us and women that we know who work um, not only in and focus on um, animal rights advocacy, but have a really sort of broad lens across a number of social justice issues. I think that would be a fantastic thing for us to start with today. Yeah, definitely. Especially because it still seems that the majority of people in animal advocacy circles are women or Mm. femme-presenting. Yeah. um, And they still seem to be underrepresented, unfortunately, I guess at the the highest levels and the most prominent levels and the, the, the faces of organisations or events yeah. um, in terms of the ratio. So yeah. even if it does get to a 50-50 ratio of what we see, that's still not representative of the underlying ratio of people in the movement because it's much more heavily skewed towards women and femme presenting people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. And I'd also really like to say that while we're talking about women that inspire us and women who are doing incredible work um, in local communities, in international communities, there are also countless others who do, can I say, the hidden work Mm. that don't really have a profile, um, that just quietly get get on with it. And, you know, I really want to shout out and acknowledge them as well. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure we all know many of them who... And not doing anything for the kudos or for the social media likes. They're doing it because they have that that drive. Um, yeah. So so let's acknowledge them also. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of women who inspire us, I'm going to start with someone who I think is truly incredible. And that is Brenda 
um, Sanders. Mm. So people might have heard of um, Brenda and they might have heard of the Afro-Vegan Society. If not, I'm going to share in our show notes later a really great profile on Brenda from the Unbound Project. So the Unbound Project is something that is funded by um, We Animals Media and we do talk to Joanne MacArthur, the incredible um, photo animal photojournalist. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's profiled some really amazing women who are working really hard in their communities to advocate for animals but also to, you know, look after local communities. Anyway, so on to Brenda. She's got a really amazing story. She grew up in the um, Baltimore Housing Projects. And in her words, she said she didn't really know what real food was. There was no local grocery store nearby where she grew up. And her single mother bought food from a converted school bus. So in Brenda's words, she said, I felt really weird even calling it food. It was the most processed, most unhealthy, salty, sugary, fatty animal products that you could think of. The cheapest crap. that was what was being trucked in and dumped into our community because that's all they thought we were worth. So she said she grew up. That's what she was thinking food was. So years later, she was living in another um, sort of fairly low-income neighbourhood of Penn North, and she said the the closest grocery store to her was sort of two bus rides away. And she stumbled across a community meeting and university students were presenting a recent study that had compared the health outcomes of true neighbourhoods in Baltimore. So an affluent mm. white community oh, wow. and a low-income black community. Yeah. And the study revealed that there was a 20-year difference in life expectancy. 20 years. 20 years. But the surprising, um, the main factor was not stress, was not income, it was diet. Wow. So at that point, Brenda had been vegan for 10 years and she said that she realised that there was a real opportunity for her to explore and share information about healthy eating and she thought that was the way I, that she could really make a, make a difference. So she um, you know, emptied the, the savings that she had and she bought some cooking equipment and she started an organisation called Better Health, Better Life. She basically knocked on the doors of churches and community centres and anywhere that would let her um, speak and and would let her cook. So she describes being met with disbelief and being told time and time again that communities didn't really care about their health and that people wouldn't eat vegan food. Brenda says that if she's anything, she's stubborn. And she's glad that she's a stopping person because um, she thought, well, no one can tell me what to do and I'm just going to follow this through and I'm going to see, you know, see where it takes me. So she spent a lot of time running cooking demonstrations, um, shared all the knowledge that she had acquired about the health benefits of veg- a vegan diet. And, you know, she said sometimes it was a handful of people, sometimes it was 100 people. And uh, people were really interested to learn more. And parents in particular were interested to, to um, take information away with them. So she had lots of printouts with recipes and health information so that people could, you know, take that away and, and you know, try and incorporate that into their life. So the other thing that um, Brenda and friends started to do was they took over a vacant lot um, in their community hmm. and moved all the rubbish out of it and started to develop the land. So they planted kale and collard greens, cucumbers, tomatoes. As everything started to transform, wildlife was coming back into um, the garden. So bluebirds and wow. you know, squirrels and animals that sort of local children had never seen before. Gee. And it became, you know, quite a thriving sort of community. Unfortunately, the city had marked that land for development. So they started to get um, pressure from from the city and there were sort of um, citations for 
you know, obscure regulations that they were sort of um, breaching. And after, yeah, two sort of seasons of, of growing all these vegetables, um, the garden was closed down. But Brenda decided that it was just time to go bigger. So she um, spoke to a fellow vegan in a restaurateur and they put together um, a free vegan festival. So it was called Vegan Soul Fest right. and this was in 2014 and they decided that what they wanted to do was connect people to um, veganism, to speakers, to educational resources and to vendors, you know, looking at different sort of things that people might be interested in, in sourcing and buying. So in their first um, event, they had around 1,200 people attend and they were just stunned. So they kept this going year after year. And by 2019, the event attracted over 14,000 attendees. So really, I think Brenda have found her niche in helping bring um, health information and healthy food choices to Baltimore's black community. And she said at that time, it really hit her that, you know, some people still saw veganism as a health issue and not an animal one. Mm. And so they were not really thinking about if they were shopping for shoes, you know, leather, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So she decided that she wanted to um, sort of, yeah, go bigger. So at that point, she started a um, vegan community centre called Thrive Baltimore. And that actually offered regular classes. It had um, vegan education programs, film screenings, guest cooking demos, etc. And so people kept visiting and bringing their friends and things were just growing and, you know, events were getting bigger and bigger. So I guess at that point she decided that it was time to sort of take a slightly different tact Um that really was more about more more than just healthy impacts and more than um, what she could sort of achieve um, in Baltimore. So she decided that she really needed to focus on things like climate, um, animal abuse, and also um, the environmental racism that is seen, mm. you know, really across the US and in lots of parts of the world. And so she founded the Afro Vegan Society. Yeah. And the project, yeah, the the project is really focused on that intersection of human health, animal rights and social justice. So they also have um, developed an annual Try Vegan program and we did talk about um, those recently and they offer that every February trying to encourage people to um, try vegan living and, you know, get the tools and information they need to transition to Mm. vegan lifestyle. So, yeah, um, she's a really incredible person. She's also launched a food and justice podcast, and that was really to um, support the Defund Big Meat campaign in the US. So, yeah, really, really incredible advocate and someone that, you know, I think – has just had that drive and initiative, um, you know, to, to sort of take on some of the biggest challenges um, that they've experienced themselves and that their communities are experiencing as well. Yeah. I think it's really great that she was able to really focus on local community first and not just general advocacy within the local community, but really specific what this community needs or what yeah. this community could could be helped with and yeah. like actually tailoring it specifically for that community rather than just this general like a, a lot of and it's not a criticism a, a lot of activism is just general or a lot of activism mm. can be and ac- advocacy can be general but i think it is so much more impactful when it's very targeted and very specific yeah. like that and yeah I think absolutely that's a, yeah it's a great story and that authenticity of a lived experience mm you know, of knowing, of, well, of initially not knowing that the cheap processed food that was available um, to Brenda as a child and, and growing up was not optimal. Um, and then, you know, I guess in 
the empowerment of learning about um, healthy eating herself and also, you know, being a vegan but not wanting to keep eating um, a lot of processed food, mm. sharing all of that information um, out with others, I think is, you know, really incredible and a real testament to her. Well, that sounds pretty similar to Lauren from Food Empowerment Project's yeah, story yeah. in a way. Absolutely. Or at least in terms of ideals of what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Lauren, um, for people who don't know, Lauren, her sur- how do I pronounce her surname? Or- Ornelis. Ornelis. We really apologise if that's Sorry, wrong. Yep. Yeah, we really should try and listen to more <laughs> introductions that she's been given. But um, yeah, yeah, Lauren's fantastic. For people who haven't heard of the Food Empowerment Project, they have a, a fairly well-known and prominent website that mm. looks at all of the impacts um, in the food production industries, uh, yep. not just animal-related issues, but also labor issues so human rights issues environmental issues um and and looks at that in a very informative and easy to understand way that's broken down for different types of products or different types of foods yeah so one of the most well-known ones that people have referenced from food empowerment project is their look at cocoa and chocolate yeah and with the slavery that's involved in a lot of the the common mass-produced chocolate products and cocoa products and the farms mm. that they come from. That's been there's a list um, if people are interested and an app version of the list, which is really helpful, um, where they they don't just go by typical branding like Fair Trade or or mm. Forest Alliance or things like that. They they actually speak to each individual company um, mm. m- normally over email and confirm the area of the farms that they're sourcing their cocoa from to see if they are areas geographically that are high in child and slave labor. And so if they are, they put them on the not recommended list. If they source from farms that aren't prevalent with child and slave labor in that geographical location, they put them on the recommended list. And for companies that aren't transparent or aren't getting back to them with detailed enough information, they'll put them in those middle ground lists that you can see there as well. And that's really, really helpful yeah. for people to think because I know a lot of, especially for me, what, when, when people are looking at animal advocacy, it's so easy to, to focus on single issue things and mm. to, you know, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a fault as such because it's, yeah. a very, it's a very natural thing to do. You find out about an issue and it shocks you and then you want to learn more about that issue. And it's, it's really important to keep other issues in mind. Mm. And I know what that means locally is that a lot of when for example when i went vegan and i started eating vegan chocolate products i'd forgotten about what i'd already learned about fair trade and different you know the issues of slavery and chocolate and and it really surprised me that it took many months maybe even years before i finally realized hang on I, i was boycotting chocolate that was not you know, um, well enough vetted to show that it wasn't mm. being sourced from from child and slave labour, or at least yeah. most most knowingly. And I'd forgotten about that once going vegan. I'd, it sort of went on the back burner, and all I'd worried about was, hang on, is this dairy chocolate mm, or is this non-dairy yeah. chocolate instead? That's and interesting. it became one or the other. It, it sort of, yeah. I flipped from thinking about one to thinking about the other, and then it was only after I thought, but they're both important. I don't want to be, it's not one or the other. I I need to be caring about both. I I do care about both. I need to start putting, you know, putting my, my purchases and my practices in line with how I actually feel Mm. and, and start having these uncomfortable conversations with um, vegan suppliers and vegan um, people in, in the community that I had been, you know, really good friends with and saying, well, I forgot to mention this or I've, I've just forgotten about it, but, do you know where your chocolate comes from? Because yeah. I know it doesn't come from the dairy industry, but does it come from child and slave labor? Mm. So, yeah, she does amazing work. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I know she was also involved or interviewed for the documentary The Invisible Vegan. Oh, came right. out a few years ago. Oh, Lauren's in that up. one. I'm not sure if Brenda is as well. I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while since I've seen that, but um, it was really good to see Lauren on that and hear her perspective on a few issues. Yeah, fantastic. I think the other um, things worth mentioning there are the work 
that Lauren and Food Empowerment Project do around workers' rights. Mm. And I think that's an area we often, as vegans, don't really realise or don't fully explore. How the people who make and grow and produce our food are treated. Yeah. And... I think that um, that's been a focus from what I understand of the project from the beginning that, um, you know, to really sort of explore explore those issues um, for workers. And more recently, one of the um, things that the project has got behind is the um, boycott of Amy's Kitchen. Yeah, that's mm. right. That was a really interesting case. The... Um so, for people who aren't aware, Amy's Kitchen have been involved in what has been reported to be by people involved as union busting and anti-union measures. Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of staff and workers from Amy's Kitchen who are calling for a boycott to try and help their push to be able to unionise yeah. and and not to not to be sort of bullied by by that. So, um, I know that there's Amy's Kitchen products are available locally here in Australia yeah. as well. They're, they're mostly, I think, made overseas mm. in in America and I think maybe Mexico I as well. I think so, yeah. yeah. So something to keep in mind and to look out. If yeah. you go to the Food Empowerment Project, you can read up all about it on the website there and their campaign to boycott Amy's products at the moment. Mm, at least until until there's some action. Hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And did you want to mention some local... Women, yeah, let's do that in our communities who are who are advocates. Absolutely. So, someone um, I think is incredibly inspiring, who we have had on the show, and I think we need to get back on the show, is Christy Alger. Mm. And so, Christy is based in Tasmania, yep, and has a really long history of being involved in um, animal rights advocacy, environmental issues. Um, women's rights and just as an all-round incredible person she founded um, Animal Liberation Tasmania I think so yeah. and I know was involved with um, a save group down there for some some period of time has done a lot of animal rescue you know supports a lot of sanctuaries and yeah it's done a lot of environmental work and there's also um, you know, Published quite a, a prolific writer. Yeah, yeah, and I think she's writing some her second book now. And uh, yeah, she's just a really amazing person. So people can follow her on Instagram yeah. if they don't know of Christie's work, which we will share. And someone else that we've had on the show that we wanted to mention is Jolene. Yeah, Jolene, who runs Project Fresh Start Mm. and we've had her as a guest talking about Project Fresh Start who sort of do similar work in a way or at least in the same realm as what Food Empowerment Project is doing in terms of really tying in the issues through food, like using food as the basis to to starting point to be looking at all these other social issues or injustices um, and using food as that catalyst of of, of serving up food, um, giving people vegan vegan food, um, but also using that to help addressing things like um, sleeping rough and homelessness, um, poverty, um, and all sorts of issues. Yeah, and And reducing food waste as well. And, you know, I think when Jolene was on the show, she did talk about um, her experiences um, in the food industry. She's a chef and she's worked, you know, in a lot of different um, restaurants and cafes all, all around the place. And she was just shocked at the sheer waste of food. Mm. So I think that's been really important for her to um, rescue food. A lot of food gets donated and um, provide, you know, really delicious, nutritious food um, to people in need, but also to in, in the community. You know, anyone can come to, you know, her community lunches. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just a, you know, fantastic way to – to meet that need, but as you say, to also 
um, you know, spread a really positive message around veganism. And I know that Jolene's mentioned, you know, a lot of people coming to lunches have have asked her about, you know, a specific recipe or, mm. you know, tell me more about veganism. So I know she's looking to put together a little cookbook, which would be awesome. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. And if people want more info, Project Fresh Start on Facebook gets regular updates of what mm. they're doing. Uh, most of their events are down south side at the moment, yeah. sort of down towards the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Frankston. Yeah. But um, everyone yep. is welcome. So yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Should we take a song break? I think we should. No worries. This first song is by a First Nations woman named Alice Skye. This is Everything awesome. is Great. Coming to 3CR on the 13th of March is Rainbows Don't Fade With Age. Rainbows Don't Fade With Age, presented by VELS LGBTI Ageing and Aged Care, sharing stories and information to empower and inspire action for all those interested in the health, well-being and visibility of older LGBTI plus people. Rainbows Don't Fade With Age on Mondays at 2pm every fortnight on 3CR. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash koori-kids-shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR, which is... We're doing a bit of a mixed bag show today. We are. We just finished a segment about International Women's Day that has Mm. just gone and talking about some women in the movement. Yep, absolutely. And And now we're thinking to talk about 
another thing that's more topical, or not more topical, that's also topical for this time of the year, which is Sea Week. Week. Yeah. So, as I said to you, Trav, I'd never heard of Sea Week. but Me neither. <laughs> sea, sea Week runs between the 4th and 12th of March this year. So, Sea Week is Australia's major national public awareness campaign to focus community awareness and provide information and courage and appreciation of the sea. Mm. Um, there is a range of, you know, quite fantastic educational resources about the marine environment and apparently a number of events that are organised and run by environmental and marine educators across the country. So they say, you know, Australia is a marine nation. We have one of the largest ocean territories in the world and it drives our climate and weather, generates employment, provides food and resources Mm. and offers lifestyle and recreational opportunities. So, yeah, I was really fascinated to um, hear of this, but it's been going for a while. (laughs) And one of the things that I found really interesting is that in terms of resources for um, for school-aged children, they talk about um, ocean literacy. So really, I guess, understanding the ocean's influence on you and your influence on the ocean. And so they've come up with the seven ocean literacy principles um, by which we can sort of understand our impact. And I'll read out what they are. Is um they're, they're interesting. Anyway, firstly, the Earth has one big ocean with many features. Mm. The ocean and life in the ocean shape the features of the Earth. The ocean is a major influence on weather and climate. The ocean makes Earth habitable. The ocean supports a great diversity of life and ecosystems. The ocean and humans are inextricably interconnected. And the ocean is largely unexplored. Mm. So, yeah, it was a really interesting thing for me to sort of have a look at. And I think that um, Sea Week is also being linked to the Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainability, which is across 2021 to 2030, which is a um, UNESCO initiative. The ocean decade. Oh, right. Yeah. So I found that really quite interesting. I didn't see a lot in there about um, sea life in terms of looking out for and caring mm. for sea life, but perhaps I didn't delve um, deeply enough. But anyway, given it is Sea Week, I thought we could talk about a couple of sea related news items. Mm. Yeah. So, I saw this week that um, Sentient Media reported on um, UN member nations who've signed a treaty to protect to protect marine life, and this has followed around twenty years of intergovernmental talks. And so, the the treaty is um, designed to protect biodiversity in the high seas, and it's sort of a framework in which the plan is to protect marine life. Um, yeah. And, you know, think about what we need to do in terms of protecting really, I guess, what are our two major global, um, you know, common um, common areas, which, you know, the atmosphere and, and the ocean. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting timing too because – the historic agreement has been reached um, at the same time as we also see, you know, an alarming new study talking about the level of plastic pollution in mm. our ocean doubling every six years. Every six years. Every six years. Doubling. So we've got that a lot. scary to think about. Of work to do. Considering how big the current levels of pollution of plastic are in the ocean for that to be doubling every six years. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty, pretty concerning, isn't it? If anyone doesn't really know much about plastic 
um, ocean waste and the huge problem it is, there was mm. a great documentary I saw a couple of years ago called A Plastic Ocean. Um, I can oh, recommend right. that to, for people to watch. Yeah. Um, there is a little bit of um, animal suffering in that documentary. Very, very, like maybe 30 seconds or so. Um, it's not primarily about animals, but it does look at some of the ways that the plastic in the oceans does affect the marine life and how they can suffer. But it also looks at different communities that do eat animals from the ocean as well. Oh. So it's it's not a, a vegan um, documentary, but yeah. as a looking at just that issue of plastic in the ocean, um, it's a yeah a plastic ocean it's called, and it was a really eye opening documentary for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, that also um, ties into something else that I read this week in from Plant Based News actually, and they were reporting on a new study um, that has found that some fish are able to recognise themselves in pictures and reflective surfaces. So yeah, researchers cool. are saying that that could indicate um, self-awareness. So it was um, scientists from Osaka Metropolitan University in Japan and they used what they're calling a mirror test. So animals um, were basically shown a reflection of themselves Hmm. and um, they were placed in front of a mirror again to to see if – sorry. So when they were placed in front of a mirror, they had a small mark drawn on their bodies Then they were placed in front of the mirror a second time and scientists observed if they would try and touch that mark so that they would have that, that sort of recognition. So in the study, it was really interesting that most of the fish did touch the mark so they've apparently identified that in their reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting that the fish were also shown photographs of themselves and seemed to be able to identify themselves. They were also shown um, what the researchers are calling strangers from their species and some of the fish actually acted more aggressively towards the unknown fish photographs, yeah. but made no such um, moves against you know their own their own pictures, which was um, yeah really really very interesting. It is. So, I mean, I don't think it would be surprising to think that um, you know fish could recognise themselves, but. You know, it's a quite interesting little um, little area of research. It's sort of interesting, isn't it? Because I, a little pet peeve of mine is that everyone seems like the scientific communities and I guess humanity in general seem to. If you look over over history, they assume the least sentience and the least intelligence yes. of every single species and every single animal until it's proven without a doubt yes. otherwise. This, yes, this whole opposite of the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And yep. I don't really understand why. And yeah. it, it still persists to this day. I mean, you get a lot of discussion about, like, especially in vegan animal advocacy circles about, um, you know, bivalves and oysters and mollusks and, and mm. or which animals are sort of like sentient enough to care about and which ones aren't. Yeah. And I find it's a bit of a, like, stories like that are fantastic, but I find that the debate itself is a little bit of a waste of time because it's why why put so much energy and effort into proving that animals like how much they can feel or how sentient they are or how intelligent they are surely it's enough that it's possible that they are like yeah. there's a there's it's it's you I mean it's in the word an, like I think animal comes from anima which means soul and mm, I mean mm. we've everyone knows instinctively that animals are people animals have their own thoughts their own drives desires you know at what level that sentience is at what level that intelligence is it doesn't well i don't think it's all that relevant Mm. when we can just respect all life that is sentient and all all lives of animals Mm. i think there's a, a drastic difference between plant life and animal life and that we don't really need to be constantly targeting the the outer edges or the, the blurry lines of, of the of the animal kingdom trying to find, well, where can we draw a line so that yeah. we, it's okay to abuse these animals or it's okay to exploit these animals because they, they fall under a threshold. Mm. Um, brilliant point. Personally, I just think no, it's, it's brilliant a brilliant point, Trev. 
given that it's International Women's Day, I'm just going to hark back to um, someone who is incredibly inspiring, and that is Dr. Sylvia Earle, who is a marine biologist, an oceanographer, and the founder of Mission Blue, Mm. um, which is a deep ocean exploration research project. And um, Dr. Earle was interviewed quite extensively in the documentary Sea Spiracy. Oh, yeah. I we did talk about that um, mm. last year and it's definitely worthwhile for people to um, catch up with that documentary if, if you haven't seen it. And one of the things that Dr. Earle says is that she's absolutely incredulous that people still ask if fish feel pain. <laughs> yeah. Like, just as you're saying, yeah. you know, how are we still sort of having, you know, this conversation? Like that requirement to justify. Yeah. You know. Yeah. How could this even be um, be a question? But, um, yeah, if people are interested in um, learning more about some of the issues in terms of the oceans, I definitely think Seaspiracy is worth a watch mm. because it raised some really, um, really compelling and topical issues around the implications of um, the global fishing industry, um, you know, in terms of what's called bycatch. Yeah. Right? Um, illegal fishing, seafloor damage, mm. um, killing endangered species, and also the incredibly dangerous working conditions yeah. that many people um, in fishing industries uh, experience. Especially in Southeast Asia, I think it was. Especially in Southeast Asia, Um, also sort of part of um, the west coast of Africa. Africa, And, you know, a lot of those workers are basically forced to participate in the industry and really have um, very sort of few options, have extraordinarily terrible working conditions, and many of them lost their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to mention the orcas? quickly before we take a song break yeah yeah thanks for reminding me of that so that's something else that just came up this week that um there's a death of an orca called kiska Mm. and kiska was in a marine park which people can't see me air quote um (laughs) called marine land and I just wanted to quickly reference the tribute to Kiska from Joanne MacArthur, who, you know, we've spoken about as an extraordinary animal photojournalist and had photographed Kiska. Mm. And, you know, Joanne paid tribute to, to Kiska and made reference to the fact that she was actually caught off the coast of Iceland in 1979. Wow. 1979. So had lived... Yeah. Had lived for decades <laughs> in marine land and, um, you know, in absolutely awful conditions. Um, Kiska had given birth several times. Her children had died. Mm. And yet, ironically, she lived her last 12 years in um, a barren tank that they decided to call Friendship Cove. You know, in awful, solitary confinement all these years and just a horrible, horrible life. And, you know, we really need to think about and do more about animals in captivity like that. Um, There are so many stories of, you know, orcas and other animals living awful, awful um, For decades in captivity. Yeah, yeah. It's just... Yeah, absolutely. People might know of the documentary Blackfish. If mm. they don't, that's a really good one to have a look at as well that really centres on SeaWorld and talks about um, an orca, um, Tilikum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we'll have a quick song break. Okay. And this song, coincidentally, is called Seasick. It's by a local vegan artist called Keisha Sprout. Awesome. Seasick. Comfort in the roads I'm walking There's no stopping where we're going Moving fast, we ain't seeing phases Or the places that we pause 
Slow down and grab it all Take it in before it falls A time will take the wreckage to the sea I could have guessed that you Would let it slip through the view That things are only worth what they give Don't you feel seasick Sailing on storms Don't you feel Solidarity Salon, home of Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party, has moved to Reservoir. We are a socialist, feminist bookshop and organising centre eager to collaborate with a diversity of optimistic rebels. All gender identities welcome. We're at 113 Spring Street Reservoir, near Regent Station. Drop in or get contact details at socialism.com. Solidarity Salon is a proud 3CR supporter. Trans Family is a not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family, and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Radio. You're listening to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. You're joined by myself, Trevor, and Carolyn today. And our show today has been, yeah, a bit of a general news update show and a bit of a discussion on things that are happening. Exactly. So, there's a couple of updates, I guess, that I'd like to share around dairy. Mm. And uh, then we might also talk about 
some um, events coming up. But this is something I thought was really interesting that in the um, United States, the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration, has recommended that products that are labelled with the term milk, such as soy milk and almond milk, have a nutritional composition that is different than milk, have a sort of voluntary sort of statement that um, conveys how the product compares with milk. Mm. So this is something that I think the plant-based um, milk market has um, really welcomed because there's been lots of discussions, um, particularly from big dairy, pushing that plant-based milks should not be allowed to use the word milk. Mm. Um, so, you know, this has been, uh, I guess, a, a bit of a step forward in that um, the FDA has said, yes, they can continue referring um, to their product as milk but would like them to to think about the way they um provide information around the sort of nutrition nutritional composition which is you know that's interesting fair enough yeah are they implying that it's less nutritional nutritionally haven't really said no haven't really sort of said on that but i think um you know it's something that we can we can sort of watch there's See. also a big difference between plant milks in yeah. their nutritional values in different areas. Like I know yeah. soy is a lot better for protein, um, but other ones can be a lot lower for calories if people are worried about that. Um, yeah. They'll have different sugar contents, the different nut milks. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. I think rice milk has a bit more sugar than some of the others. Yes. So, um, yeah, there's definitely things to be aware of, especially if people are on specific diets for any sort of health reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I had an interesting email this morning, which um, was an update from Dr. John McDougall, who I follow. And uh, I'll share that also in the show notes because um, Dr. McDougall talks about the dairy industry and the way they create marketing campaigns to sell their products using research that they funded themselves. Mm. You know, and I don't think this is a surprise um, to anybody, but the dairy industry really focuses on advertising milk as a good source of calcium when in reality consuming dairy is detrimental to bone health Mm. um, causing osteoporosis and other sort of diseases and you know milk and cheese are um you know cause allergens and digestive um issues within with people so um he has a little uh video there that um that he shared as well so i will um, share that in our show notes but on a more positive note <laughs> let's go to a more positive note um, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics we are now drinking about half a metric cup of milk um, alternatives per person each week Wow! so plant-based milk consumption is definitely on the rise and the ABS have had a look at that and really I guess in in terms of the um, marketplace, consumption of the likes of soy and almond is increasing at the same rate dairy milking is falling, which is really, wow. really interesting. Yeah. Really, really interesting. So there's quite a few interesting um, experts who sort of talk about some of the reasons why people are leaving cow milk behind in terms of sorry, in favour rather of plant-based milk. And whether that's for, you know, ethical um, or personal reasons or health-based reasons. Or environmental. Environmental reasons, absolutely. So one professor from UNSW said that he's absolutely not surprised at all about the expansion of the plant-based milk aisle. And he said that, you know, human bodies are not physiologically optimised to digest dairy milk. And exactly. went on to say, food history is full of examples where we try to mimic animal products. So having plant-based milk is not an entirely new idea. Human adults are not necessarily the target consumers for cow's milk in nature. <laughs> it's a product meant for babies, specifically for cow babies. And um, Dr. Michael Klapper, the plant-based doctor, says very, very sort of similar things to that. And, you know, we know that many adults have um, an intolerance to lactose, the the sugar that's in dairy, and, you know, consuming... On a global scale, most people do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just in the more wealthy 
countries and communities that it's yeah. s- it skews the other way. But yeah, worldwide, it's definitely a, a human problem, lactose yeah, intolerance. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so, you know, I think that we can be heartened by this. And, you know, I think also there are so many more plant-based milk alternatives than there were 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, you just look down a supermarket aisle and there's so many um, so many different options and we would encourage people to try them. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Mm. So another little quick bit of news because I think we're kind of running out of time is Plant-Based News had reported that um, sportswear brand Puma is no longer going to use kangaroo skin for its king soccer boot range Mm. and that they are opting for a new vegan leather substitute that's called K-Better. And they've actually tested that out with um, a a range of um, sort of football teams and it's actually proven that K-Better outperforms traditional kangaroo hide for football boot construction and it seemed better in terms of durability, um, comfort, touch, wow. etc. So hopefully no that excuses. will be extended across, <laughs> you know, other ranges and other brands yeah. as well. Um, it would be great to see, um, you know, kangaroo A leather no out. longer be um, be used in any production That'd of be great. sports materials. Do we have enough... Time for another quick, quick couple of shout-outs. Quick, yep. quick, quick. Okay. The couple of events coming up. There's the Castle Main Festival that is um, happening between March 24 and April 9. Emma Harkinson and Pam Ahern are speaking. Mm. Fantastic. There is also a Week of Action. Farm Transparency Project have the Dominion Week of Action between April 2 and 8. So this is five years after the release of the Dominion documentary. So there's going to be a range of different things, banner and sign making, training on knowing your rights, outreach events, slaughterhouse vigils, a rally at the Department of Agriculture, and also an animal rights march. So that's really great to hear. We're going to have to wrap up. So hope you enjoyed that show. Okay. Great (laughs) chatting with you, Trev. Great chatting with you, Carolyn. Freedom of Species will be back next week from 1 till 2 on Sundays. And we're going to leave you with Deer Stalker, a local Melbourne band. This is their track 6pm in the city.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.